Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's my privilege to welcome back a previous guest. Actually, he was the very first guest on this podcast, uh, Reverend Gene Yatka. Uh, Gene is the director of the Awakening Institute, and he's a spiritual director, and he's a retired United Methodist pastor. I consider him a friend, personal friend, and he was actually my very first centering prayer teacher. So it's always great to speak with Gene, and we're going to go really deep today into Christian mysticism and as really an antidote for the distractions that we find in our lives. Uh, if you love deep dive spirituality, this episode is for you. Uh, before we jump into the interview with Gene, wanted to make a, a quick announcement. For any of, of my listeners who are interested in Centering Prayer, I invite you to sign up for updates at centeringprayerbook.com. You can also find more resources from me at my website, this is my new website, brianrussellphd.com. And now let's go ahead and jump into the interview this week. Welcome back to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast, Gene. It's so great to have you. It's a blessing to be here. Thank you, Brian, for inviting me. Yeah. Well, you were my very first guest, and we we did that interview like something like April 1st of 2020, right at the beginning of the pandemic, and you, you were back again, uh, not too, too, too uh, much longer after that. So it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, and not that the pandemic's over, but we're seeing it seems like it's waning. And from your, you know, from your expertise as a spiritual director, you know, you work with lay people and pastors, um, what lessons have you been able to take away from the pandemic in terms of how it's affected spiritual formation or shown a need for spiritual formation? I, th I think it's uh, it is definitely uncovered a need for spiritual formation. And uh, of course, when the pandemics began, it was like uh, I, I was kind of obviously we didn't want a pandemic, but I uh, I was along with a bunch of people that I was reading and, and blogs and things. There was uh, it was an opportunity to take advantage of the of the slowing of being able to. Uh, uh, it was kind of forced slowing, and it could be frustrating, but uh, there was a big advantage that could be taken. That and I was actually thinking it would it could we could have emerged from this as a as a church uh, maybe stronger even spiritually going deeper stronger uh, in a you know going deeper in our spirituality um unfortunately i don't think i saw see too much of that i think it, i think people got so frustrated and so upset by it that it really opened me opened me up to the reality that um that we have a tendency no matter who we are even even those who who are really are spending time in, in centering prayer and, and doing that they, in uh, in being almost having an aversion to uh, going deeper. Uh, maybe as Americans because we're forced to, you know, or or, or maybe maybe as uh, as people who have a a sense of the spiritual, a sense of God's presence, um, we uh, we find the, the the frustration that uh, and we see the pain out there and. And I think, and I think what we see is we end up getting. I, th I think we ended up getting even more distracted by the pandemic than than uh, what I had hoped to be able to avoid distractions and avoid that. I think we got so, and it, it opens us. It opens us to an understanding of our humanity that just because you get locked down doesn't mean that you can. You and all your everything you're doing it is kind of taken away. Doesn't mean we don't. We're still not distracted. 
in our, in our mind. And I think that, I think we ended up getting more and more attached to the, to the world that we were detached from uh, when we had a real opportunity to be able to realize, wow, I really can be detached from the world and more attached to the love of God. Um, And I hope I'm wrong, but I I don't, I don't know if we've taken full advantage of that. I think we could have, we could have, you know, and I'll I'll speak for myself is that I found myself, um, we're in a little bit of a flux with the Awakening Institute, and I found myself having a lot more time uh, in uh, being able to sit quietly and and do my centering prayer and uh, kind of practice a kind of a modified monastic way. Um, and then, but I did find myself, and this is something I learned about myself, is that I, uh, my, my mind wandered more, more than it was when I had a, a busier schedule or when I was going out or when I was teaching in person and, and all those, and some of those different things. And, uh, I, and that went on for about, went on for a few months. And I finally caught myself and I said, why, why am I so distracted in the midst of an opportunity to, uh, to let some of the things go? And, uh. I'll speak for myself. It was, um, it became a sense of uh, maybe you call it even fear, uh, a fear of uh, a fear of truly not being able to engage or re-engage. Because I, I love to teach, and I love teaching with the Awakening Institute when we were in person, uh, and we had our small groups and all that, and that was wonderful. And then it was kind of gone. And then I went through a period of oh, maybe uh, maybe the ministry is over. Maybe maybe it's not going to really work anymore. And then I, I caught myself in that distracted place that was totally unnecessary, and I, uh, I and I went back and I sat and I and I actually spent a little less time in silence. Uh, I, and I went back to my normal rhythm. My normal rhythm was uh, was uh, 30, 30 minutes or so in the morning, uh, and then in the afternoon around lunchtime I would do about 20, 20, 30 minutes, and then at night I would do thirty minutes. That was my normal rhythm. It's been that way for twenty five years. Um, but, uh, I started adding more. I started, I started like, Hey, I got time. And I found out the extra time was distracted. And I found out that I almost needed the distraction or I needed the opportunity to avoid the distraction when it was taken away. There was no need for it. Does that make sense? And it was a, it, it created like almost like a void that I, um, I just wasn't, uh, I wasn't able to fill with my own sense of, uh, now I have an opportunity to become go deeper and all that. And instead, I found myself just being distracted by by nothing, by or by just thought. And I realized how much the distractions were in the mind, and not so much in the in the world. And and it's interesting because uh, the monastics, for example, uh, they 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 get distracted as well too. You know, I, and they, and they they're and they're alone, and they're they're in a place of in, in some cases completely cloistered completely away and um they have they have a mechanism in their uh, in their system that helps them to return uh because they constantly they get distracted as well and it's the bells you know they they have they have bells that ring at certain times so what i did is i um i set i set like a, a monastic time i said a every four hours or so uh i i put it so that there was a, a bell a little chime on my phone went off and it sounded like a, a bell in a, for a monastery and um, and I re- and it, it, I realized that I can I needed that return, and when I was out of my regular routine, uh, including the things that I was doing, I I wasn't reminded. I was I just felt like it was, and then but I realized it was still there, and uh, and so I, I put that little 
little bell mechanism in there, and uh, and of course centering prayer and some of those aspects of being able to uh, to allow myself just to say, oh wait a minute, okay, I'm distracted, uh, and uh, and return instead of just being distracted and then oh realizing it, you know. And I <laughs> this is terrible, but what, not terrible, but you know, I found myself uh, on my phone more. I found myself in my in my uh, different chat rooms and my different things more, or even just all of a sudden I'm fine. And I never did that before. All of a sudden I was scrolling and, uh, and I realized I wasted half an hour, 25 minutes in nonsense. But now, now that the, the, the world is beginning to get back in and I, I my, I'm getting back to a regular schedule. Uh, I'm by keeping my routine, my, my prayer routine, my, uh, my centering prayer, my, my Lexio, my prayer examine it at, at night, my Lexio in the afternoon, um, I'm able to uh, reestablish the rhythm. And I think that that's what the pandemic taught me, if that makes any sense at all, that I needed that rhythm. Because the rhythm was kind of broken, thinking, oh, I got all the time in the world, and I broke my, broke my rhythm. And, I, and for about several months, and then I realized, oh, wait a minute, you know, that's what's going on. No, that was that was all really, really, really helpful. And I was going to ask you a different question, but I think you answered. I was going to make um, kind of a question observation that, in a sense, I think that what the pandemic has shown us is we have to figure out our own root system. And in a sense, especially the lockdown period, again, depending on where you lived, you may be locked down for extended time. Gene and I live in Florida, so we were one of the more open states the whole time. Yeah. Um, but uh, for if, if pastors that are listening, folks haven't all come back to church. Some people don't seem to be coming back. And so it's almost like the tree goes over and a whole bunch of roots were pulled up, mm. but the tree's still alive. And now it's going to need to kind of reroute. And yeah. I think just listening to you talk to your own journey, you found the rhythms of spiritual formation were actually the antidote um, or maybe the, the fertilizer that allows for some rerouting to take place. Is that what you would that, does that, is that a good way to, to sort of summarize what you were getting at? Yeah, I think that's a good analogy because I, I really was when the pandemic hit and the awakening Institute was, which I was spending a lot of time with and that was kind of my, my baby. Right. And uh, we, um, uh, and then it kind of got it got uprooted, and uh, and then all the doubts come in, and all different things come in, and then uh, and then because because I had so much time, like we we had, uh, I actually got out of rhythm, and uh, and once I realized that that I could get back into rhythm, and I'm able to I'm able to work with my distractions a little bit more, and and it's interesting because I, I think as as we've spoken before, I th I think simplicity is the is always the beginning, and. Uh, in some ways, the pandemic made my life more complicated, and which makes no sense at all when you think about it. But the uh, but I actually became more complicated trying to figure out how how to survive this, how to do this, how to do that, and, and I found myself projecting into the future too much. Uh, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't like creating plans for the future. It was like, okay, what am I going to do if? What am I going to do here? And and I found myself making my life much more complicated in the midst of not having to do anything. Uh, it's in the, and so the simplicity that, that, and I think to, and I, the reason I brought that up is because I think that the rootedness of the tree that you're talking about is simplicity. 
it's a it's the Mary Martha thing where you know they, they you know are we going to be distracted or are we going to be at the at the feet of the Lord so that we can allow the things that we do to flow out of that and uh, and in a way the, the complications snuck into something that should have been incredibly uncomplicated it should have been an opportunity for pure simplicity instead of constantly thinking of the what ifs or how am I going to do this and how am I going to do that. As we just spoke just a couple minutes before the podcast, the, uh, the awakening, we're kind of moving it in a different direction and uh, and it's being simplified. At the same time, that was my big concern back a year ago. You know, where, where are we going to go? And it created a complex situation that now is becoming simpler and simpler and I'm being able to get a grasp of that. And your analogy is perfect. It's, it's being rerouted and not just the awakening is too, but the um, my spiritual formation, my personal spiritual growth began again to become more, it could be rerouted, but changed. It was, it was different, which was okay too. And, and nobody likes that. You know, it's a, uh, it was, uh, it became, uh, the practices were similar, but it was, uh, it wasn't a, uh, it was, it became almost a, a challenge to be able to get closer to the Lord, a challenge to experience God's presence. Where prior to that, when I was, when I was, had that, when the simplicity takes root, um, you know, there's no more trying to do that. You're just kind of resting and allowing it to happen. And, and it's, uh, it becomes less me and, and more the presence of God, more, more of a Holy Spirit movement. So we'll, we'll pick it up from there. I know one of the pieces that, I think it's really helpful in the way that you talk about mysticism and been when we were, before we got on here, you were said you'd found some confirmation about it, but you use um, five S's mm-hmm. to kind of talk about Christian mysticism. Can you kind of walk through that and how it starts with simplicity and how it builds from there? And then how you found, um, you know, that, 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 how you found that anchored in say the Christian uh, contemplative tradition. Again, that's a big question, but, you know, do that as a, as yeah. fast as you can, but not, but it was some, uh, with some depth there too. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's interesting because uh, as we, as we said just a few minutes ago, before the podcast, we, uh, they, sometimes you, you think you've discovered something and you think you're like the author of it and it just happened. And, uh, and, one of the one of the things that I've really kind of delved into over the last few years now is these five S's: the simplicity, silence, solitude, stillness, and spaciousness. And so I, uh, and so I, I went and I, I started, I practiced that. And I found ways. And then as I went back, and one thing I did do during the pandemic, I went back and reread some of the classics. I read, read John of the Cross, uh, Teresa of Avila, a lot of her stuff. Um, I read, uh, I read some. Thomas Merton and uh, and then some more you know some of the, uh, the some of the classic people from years ago and um, I started looking at it maybe it's because it's kind of like if you if you buy a new red car you start seeing it everywhere on the highway and so I started seeing that the five S's were really just another way to explain or at least maybe to uh, to flesh out uh, the monastic li- the way to li- the way the monastics live and have have been living for thousands of years now. And uh, and and if you think about it, simplicity is uh, is the um, is really begins the root of that. I mean, they their lives are stripped down to it's very austere. Uh, if anybody has spent any time in a monastery, that you go in and the monastery, the cell, which is the the little room that they that you stay in, um, is consists of a bed, a lamp with a little table with a lamp and a desk, and that's it, nothing else. So it's it's very simple. There's a and and 
in the simplicity, and this is something I did discover that I that was uh, that I didn't really have didn't come to consciousness. But when I started when I practiced simplicity, I realized that I needed the rhythm more than ever before. And the way the monastics use the rhythm is that is the bells. They uh, they'll go and they they have the bells that say, and the bells aren't just a reminder to go back to. Uh, it's okay. It's time to go to prayer, or it's time to go to to chapel. They're they're more of a a, a a a way of us to dis disengage from the work we're doing, the stuff we're doing, and return. And what a lot of people don't know is the monastic life is a, a is a life where uh, they they call it stasio or stasio, and it, it means to uh, go and uh, and hear hear the bell. But the bell really isn't a call directly to the worship. The bell is a call to to recentering, becoming quiet, and and that's the simplicity, just becoming quiet because there's there's nothing more that we that we need, nothing more we're interested in. My uh, computer's unplugged here. So then, what what? So you start with simplicity, and then you move to silence. So if simplicity is about kind of disengaging or recentering. Right. Um, what what is what is what's involved in silence? Well, silence. I I'm, I'm a firm believer that silence flows out of the simplicity because simplicity opens up the space for us to uh, to be to be silent. But we, it isn't just to. It, it doesn't usually begin with a with finding a quiet place, an outward quiet place, and then and then moving inward. But it's really silence is is uh, is meant for us to be able to listen. To be in a place where we can truly sense sense the the reality of our of uh, of God's presence, to be able to hear God God's movement, uh, to be able to uh, be open to truly following Christ. So the silence is designed so we can listen, and um, and listening again is not just it's not like uh, a counselor will listen and uh, and then kind of speak back to the person. It's not it's not a it's not an active listening. It's more of a, a, it's really a passive listening where we just, just become very open. But if our mind is distracted, it's really almost impossible to get to that place of, of silence. Um, and silence, of course, is, I mean, you can't read much of the, the uh, contemplative literature without coming across the, the need for silence. It's, a, it's an absolute necessity. Um, and, of course, we go on our retreats and we, we do these different things, but it's a, um, all they are is a training ground. All they are is ways that we can become silent. And an amazing thing can happen is that we can actually become inwardly silent uh, in the midst of chaos, in the in the midst of all the stuff going on in our lives. Uh, because, but all that means is that there isn't necessarily the absence of sound. It's the it's the absence of the distraction which flows out of the simplicity, so that we can now hear, so that we can now be open to listening. And listening comes a million different ways. Listening will come. Uh, for me, I mean, I, I, I do bonsai trees. I, I, I trim my bonsais out there and uh, I feel like I, I kind of sink into a listening mode. I'm not, I'm not so much concentrating on trimming the bonsai. It's a, I'm just kind of in a listening mode. I sit in my, sit in my garden. Uh, I do centering prayer. You know, so it's something more, something that's more intentional, but, and it's a, it comes to a place and then we become vessels that listen. We become listening beings rather than talking beings uh, i'll tell you the at asbury all that now that i'm in my third year now doing the centering prayer 
group, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the CO655 students. And uh, the hardest thing for the students is, uh, what do you mean I can't, I can't say the words? And I say, I can't pray my list of, uh, a, of you know, whatever it might happen. I, I say, no, you're still welcome to pray that, but you need to stop talking somewhere along the way so that you could hear and the Lord has, the Lord is responding to us all along and all. If we talk, all we can know is the extent of our own finitude, the extent of our own intelligence. But if we can stop, we can be drawn into an infinite place. And that, and silence is that is that that initial hearing of God and then letting God draw us to an infinite place. Uh, people that have people have done centering prayer for a long time uh, find out you know we we have there's a sacred word that most people will use. Uh, Sometimes uh, the sacred word either becomes something that doesn't it doesn't nec- doesn't necessarily not work, but it becomes less effective. And uh, they'll they'll tell me they'll see something, you know, a light, or they'll see something in the midst of their uh, their centering prayer, um, and that's a sacred glance. And the sacred glance uh, kind of sometimes gives us a better idea. But the sacred word is not just to mention it, uh, and just like silence, it's not just to become quiet; it's to open us up. And even the sacred glance, or even the sacred breath. That many traditions use. It's it's designed so that we can allow ourselves to be to move to that lim- that liminal place to the best of our ability, so that we can by the by the infinite love of God be drawn beyond our ability, beyond anything that we can do. So if we just if we become really proficient in contemplative practices, but never allow the Lord to draw us, never allow us to go beyond the practice. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who gave me a. a from, he, uh, he came back from Russia and he brought me a, an icon, the Russian icon of Jesus. And, um, you know, a lot of people, well, icons, you know, but the reality is that it isn't to look at the icon. It's to look, let the icon draw us through the scriptures. The Bible is just ink on paper until we allow ourselves to become silent, to be drawn and, and into this, into the, into a, an, aware, a, an awakening, really, a, a deeper awareness of the author, of the of God who, who gave us the scriptures. And, that's what silence does. Silence brings us, the simplicity sets the stage for silence, and silence brings us into that liminal place that we can be, we can let God do what only God can do, to draw us, draw us in. And, and we move from, regardless of how intelligent we are, it makes no difference if you have an IQ at 300, you're still finite. We, we, can, we can come to the point of our own finitude instead of thinking, well, that's it. Say, no, there's infinity beyond that. And that's what that's what silence allows for us to to move into that. To doesn't move us into the infinity. It sets us up to the to be in that liminal place where God can draw us in. So, how does solitude then flow out of the silence? And what's solitude the distinction is, that you make? Solitude is beautiful. It, it's, uh, simplicity, silence, and solitude are the three things that we can contribute to substantially. We can we can allow ourselves to simplify our lives. We can. We can uh, we can find quiet places and and allow ourselves to come to that place. And solitude is like that, a little less than the first two. But solitude is an awakening to presence, and it and it's amazing thing happens because it isn't it is obviously the presence of God, but it's it's also and maybe even before the presence of God, it's the presence of self. We become very present, very aware of of who we are in this in in this place. And as Christians, the place that we're in is in Christ Jesus. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a, a Pauline mystic. I, you know, I, I, you know, the Apostle Paul, you can't read 
three sentences without him saying in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And, you know, and, uh, and, and as, as you well know, that that's a locative word. That's, that's not, that's not, that's, that's a, that we're located. And I think that, and solitude is, is the awakening to the presence of who we are and who we're in and who we are filled by. And the amazing thing happens, the presence of others, because the closer we get to God, God is closer to every to other you know, everyone else more than we could ever be, and the closer, more we awaken to our presence and the presence of God, we, we awaken to the presence of others. And there's where we can begin to truly love one another uh, without without judgment. Solitude is the place of presence without judgment. It's a place of presence that allows us to be uh, open to the reality that that all of us, no matter. The, the people we agree with, the people that we kind of tolerate, the people we don't agree with at all, we're still in that one place. As Christ, as Christians, we are in that place in Christ Jesus. And solitude is 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 the is is an awakening to presence. And uh, and I think that that's I don't think that's again only God can really open that up. But and just kind of as a visual, we can we have simplicity, which leads us to the point of that liminal space of silence. And then solitude brings us right to the brink. That's that's the Lord has to bring us there, but it brings us right to the brink of of being of awakening to the to the depths of God and the, the, the depths of of who we are as those created in the image and likeness of God. Um, and um, being open to uh, the one who create is the creator of that image. Um, and a, a lot of that is, I think, a lot of that is. Um, the spiritual formation occurs, uh, I believe, at, at four levels: spirit, soul, mind, and body. And um, and we and and the spirit is the once we accept the Lord Jesus as our Savior, is becomes permeated, becomes filled with that Holy Spirit. And the soul, which the world has damaged, the soul damage is real, uh, becomes healthier and healthier by the by the human soaked Holy Holy Spirit soaked human spirit, and. That becomes more and more, and then we move. The holy the soul can now move. There's an ancient term you don't hear anymore. It's just simply soul care. You don't you don't hear that term anymore. And that was, but if you read John of the Cross and you read the, the some of the ancient contemplatives, that's you know, especially Meister Eckhart and some of these people, soul care was a center. And uh, what that meant is that you receive the Lord Jesus. You you get you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're located in Christ. You're your soul is beginning to get healed from all the damage that the world does on it. And then we move to that transformation of the mind. No longer we consider, you know, that's what Paul said in Romans 12, right? To, uh, and so we have the transformation of the mind, but then we also begin to walk this earth as those who realize that this body, even, even those bodies aging and getting older and gets its aches and pains, is the seed of the imperishable. And so it becomes spirit, soul, mind, and body. And, um, and once... We allow that spiritual formation to move. We begin to realize that, and this is what happens in solitude. Uh, the, we begin to realize the presence of the one who's been calling us to to awaken to the holy presence all along, God. And and since we've we it's I like to, I like to uh, to equate it to um, when Isaiah and then later on John the Baptist said, uh, "I'm making straight the way of the Lord." I think that that when our spirit, soul, mind, and body is out of whack. There's no, there's no straight line to awaken to the truth that we are created in the image of God and that God, the one who created that image, is here, and that we are the image of love, and that we begin to see others as the image of love, and we can't help but love them as well. 
Uh, and that's what solitude does. That's what holy solitude does. You know, solitude isn't simply being alone. Uh, it's a it's an awakening to the presence of um, of yourself, uh, of God, and and others. Uh, but the the holy presence. Does that make sense? It does. And I and I love just you know I think as everybody's listening, um, um, I, the one of the pieces that I might not have known about in my younger days when I was emphasizing a mission, which I still do. And, that, and that's as a Bible scholar, I still like to talk about missional hermeneutics and mm -hmm. have to be missional pastors and make disciples. But one of the things that I was unaware of is the really powerful connection between spiritual formation and mission. I mean, you kind of could think about it implicitly, but you think of like a mystic, no, I've, I've retreated from the world. But in fact, the way you've just described it, when I just got into this step three, um, it's, I, I actually move I'm more for others because I've moved from self to God. And then of course it's love your neighbor as yourself. And so it goes out there. So I just love how you connected that. So you said these first three steps, simplicity, silence, and solitude. We have some level of control of that. And that brings us to the brink. Right. Um, what, what, so what's, so how do we move into stillness and how is that different? And what, where, how do you understand stillness is that fourth S of mysticism? Stillness, so, uh in is the ultimate not my will but your will be done lord wow it's, it's, it's that moment where we truly relinquish our will and we say not my will but your will and, and really mean it we don't just say it it's actually becomes part of who we are and um and it's something that we it's beyond our ability to do but that's why we're that that's that's all a movement of god that's all that's the holy spirit movement that can bring us to the place where we can truly say lord not my will, but your will be done. And um, and an amazing thing happens. It's almost it's almost like there's a, something that happens between the solitude and the stillness that allows us to say, "Oh wow, I really am created in the image of God." Others are created in the image of God, and the image of God that that God created, the image of love, is being it has been in the presence and and has been loved by eternal love by god all along and we awaken to that truth and so, something happens within us that when we begin to when we begin to live in the, the immense love of god and we they call in in mystical in the contemplative terms they call it union we, we come to that union with god and now all of a sudden we begin to say begin meister eckhart said that he called it uh seeing through the eyes of god um julian of norwich called it wanting with god uh we had and, and there's a lot of language that talks about union. And um, it's, the, it's that point of union when we can say, not my, my will is now your will, Lord. And I, I have, it's a, we're lockstep. And an incredible thing happens is that we begin to realize that the deepest, our deepest desires, I mean, the truly deepest, at the bottom of our spirits, at the bottom of our souls, a lot of them line up at that moment. All of a sudden we realize, you know, that we, I remember in touching that. I mean, this, this is, you know, this is not something that, that I've mastered, but I, I remember touching that once or twice. And I realized, oh, this, this desire that you placed in my heart, Lord, that I didn't even realize was even there. That's what I really want. It could be, you know, going back to my younger years when I was in business and all, um, making money, making money and trying to, trying to do, you know, be, be of the world and do try to do really good and buy cars and houses and all that stuff. Um, I, I thought that that was my greatest desire. But then when I realized that 
the, the, the truth of the presence of perfect love that can allow me to become a vessel for that love and, 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 and share that love. Uh, that's what I really desire. And, and all it did, it's, it's almost become cliche. I know, but, uh, I realized where true wealth was. It wasn't in wasn't in money, and it wasn't in property, and it wasn't in cars or all the different things. I and I and I I stopped. For, I remember I remember literally stopping, and saying, "Oh, that's been my desire all along." I didn't, and it, it's been there. I just didn't really know it. And that's that. That's that. That's the Lord revealing that to us. Uh, and then there's other things too that I might have desired that red Ferrari, which I realize I don't. Yeah, I'm, I, when I preach, sometimes I'll say that, and I'll, everybody laughs. And I have no desire for right for it. If you gave me one, I'd, I'd sell it and give the money to somebody who needed it. You know, you know I just don't have it. So what happens is that we get to that place of, and it's more than just it's more than just. You'll hear the concept inner stillness, which in a in some of the other traditions, you'll that's just kind of a that's it's more than that. It's a it's true contemplation of the reality of the love of God and, and, and see, and it begins to move us in such a way that we say not our will, but your will be done. And we discover that our deepest desires, God is what God wants for us. The desires that maybe God placed in our hearts the day we were born, that was, maybe we haven't realized it or we've forgotten them. We thrown them aside They become something that, uh, and cause you know, it's interesting because, um, in the scriptures, in Gospel in John, it's in the Gospel of John. It says uh, they, um, it, the scriptures say that the will of God is for us to believe. So sometimes we think, "Oh, I want to know the will of God so that I can do this and do that." No, the will wants us to believe and to have faith. And what that means is surrender. It's a and it's a hard thing to do. Teresa of Avila said, "Lord, help me to surrender my surrender." You know. And then I think later on, about a couple of days later, she fell out of her carriage into a puddle and shook her fist at God and said, no wonder you don't have so many friends, you know? So, <laughs> you know, so there's a there's this understanding that God wants so much more for us. And and we discover that it's exactly what we want for ourselves. But we put all the junk in the way before we even realize it. And I love that. It just reminds me of... of one of my favorite chapters in scripture. Uh, this has been true since I was a teenager at my conversion of uh, Philippians three, where Paul talks about all things are loss. And those were good things in his life. And then he has that really powerful statement. Um, um, you know, everything's a loss except for the surpassing greatness that is knowing Christ Jesus as, exactly as Lord. Right. I mean, and that's, yeah. That's just so so helpful. So that's what this contemplative space does. But I guess there's still something even on the other side of stillness, though, which I'm thinking like this. How can this get any better? And that's space. That's spaciousness. So what is spaciousness in this in this idea? Spaciousness is the is the completeness of entering into a uh, the, the infinity of God, wow. uh, experiencing the infinity of God, and to be able to just say be able to be. Lord, uh, I, I really, you know, it's a thoughtless place. It's a, it's the, it's the place beyond the cloud of unknowing. It's a, it's that place where is there's no, there's nothing less, no, nothing left to unknow. It just, it's the way of, it's just being, it just is. And it's the hardest to describe, of course, but, um, but it's a, it's a, and it's an entering into the infinity of the mystery without fear, without, as a matter of fact, just feeling like, wow, 
this is a this is what it is. And and uh, over the years, you know, I've read some that said that have said that they they felt like I mean, Paul when he went to the third heaven, that probably was something like that. And uh, you know, so it's a the but that's what it is. It's a it's a mystery into the infinity of God, into the into something that's absolutely beyond anything we could possibly know. Yeah, without fear. And uh, and you think about it that where does most fear come from? The fear of the unknown, you know, fear of what's going to happen. But once you surrender to the unknown, surrender to that. And then there's and it's it's funny because it's it's thoughtless. Uh, con- without concept, pure, uh, without words, pure being at the same time. It's the ultimate. It's it's the ultimate life. It's the ultimate. It's the truth of the of when what Jesus, when we were told that Jesus came as the life and gave to give us that light, the light of life, and uh, and it's the ultimate of that. And uh, and it's we can describe it how we want heaven. You can describe it as, uh, but it's but the thing is that the contemplative, uh, although they they never expect to and certainly can't work toward it. Uh, believe that it can happen here you can you can sense that and here on earth and um and you can it's i think maybe anybody who's on centering prayer and has has um experienced almost blank moments where all of a sudden time went real quick or there was a there was something that maybe maybe it seemed like it wasn't even fruitful but then something wonderful came out of it it's those eternal moments and uh and what's cool about eternal moments is that it's really not even accurate to call them moments because they're they're infinite. There's there's it's not even a moment. It just it's the eternal isness or being, and um, and so and that's why I try to try tell our students that you know because every one of them say oh you know I've been doing I did 20 minutes centering prayer and my mind was racing all around. I said you have to, would think there was a maybe a split second where your mind wasn't racing. Well maybe I said well that split second the eternity that's the eternal moment and uh, God can do unbelievable things and that's why we that's why we consider these things like simplicity and silence and solitude and stillness and spaciousness because we want it all we want to do is put ourselves in a place that we can be drawn into the eternal infinite love of god and then be affected by that and you know use the abrahamic covenant right blessed to be a blessing to be able so that we can now be those missional people and we can go out and uh and and a weird thing happened. I know I did probably run out of time, but the uh, have you ever gone into a restaurant or a Walmart or something like that, and, and someone just kind of you just lock eyes with somebody and, and smile? You know, it's it's like I promise not because we're so good looking. You know, it's it's because something. Or have you ever come across a new person you've met and you just knew they were Christians? You just knew the Holy Spirit was in was in them. And uh, there's something about those eternal moments that flow out of us when we don't know it. And we can even walk, we can walk into a restaurant and if we allow ourselves to, to just be in that liminal place to be drawn and, and know that we are the, we live, move and have our being in God, that people can be changed around us. People, people, we might not even say a word to, but people can be changed around us, not because we're so wonderful, but because we have surrendered to becoming vessels of perfect love and you know, and I think I've said this to you before. You know, they, I, I, I talk to different groups all the time, and you can always tell 
if it, where a group is politically. You know, you can always, and but it's funny because no matter what political group or what what position some a group takes, everybody agrees with that. If the, if the love the love of God, if we are in Christ Jesus, if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are given the gift to know who we are as God's image bearers, and be able to unite with become aware awakened to the reality that we are united with the one who created the image bearer, and then we begin to sense that love. What what could possibly go wrong? I mean, it's a, at that point uh, all the the stuff we disagree in, the, the disputes, all you know, and just fill in the blank, whatever it might be, they disappear. They become they become irrelevant. They become, uh, no, that's that's not true. They they become ultra relevant, but not based on our own efforts, based on our own surrender, based on the, the love of God flowing into us and being those vessels. And then God can God does things that we probably will never know about. Is is a great old song by Ray Bolts called "Thank You," and uh, it's just a, it just you know, a little Sunday school teacher didn't think he did a heck of a lot for, for the Lord, and he dies, and then, you know, thank you for giving the Lord, because when you prayed, I went to heaven, all of a sudden, thousands are coming, because of a, a dollar he put in the missionaries, in, uh, or something, a prayer he said, or different things, and that's, uh, and there, that was, that's, that's just an example of what God's doing beyond anything we can possibly imagine. You know, all the students you've taught over the years, I promise you there's eternal fruit that's out there. That you'll never know about. Well, maybe you will one day, but you know, you know, you, you don't need to know about it, uh, and that's uh, and because you don't need you don't need anything from it. Uh, I think East Stanley Jones, when the, in the uh, in the Beatitude, he said, "Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth." He called them the terrible meek, because the meek it could not be affected by the earth. The earth that the world had nothing to offer them. They were all they everything that they ever desired was to be in God, and so it's it's you know, ironically they they inherit they. The thing that they could, they had the least concern about, <laughs> so it's a Good. that's what the that's what that place of uh, spaciousness is. It's a being open to the mystery of what God is doing through us, and not and having no fear and knowing that something wonderful is happening that we don't have to have any we don't have to even have knowledge of. Not so good. And I, I want to make a comment that I want to uh, push a little bit on the spacious because there's an image that. Uh, wanted us to get to at least for a few minutes and then I'm gonna then I'll have one more question and we'll, we'll try to wrap up the, the conversation I always appreciate your time yeah. you know, I love I love that idea of um, you know like the thank you for giving to the Lord and, and like one of the things that I think I've learned from my contemplative practices and mo you know I'm most centering prayer journaling especially those are my probably go-to practices every day over all these years is um, learned the wisdom of like what Bob Tuttle, one of my mentors and folks, you can look up my interviews with Bob Tuttle on this podcast too. But one of the things he always said was show up, pay attention. God's got way more invested in this than you do. Yeah. And, and for me, you mentioned, you know, you'll never know who you touch. Well, that's been the kind of the fun part I've, I've had. Um, you know, I don't, I don't always have like mystical experiences, but one day I was just kind of talking to somebody and, you know, I wasn't really there what I'm about to say, but in a sense, in a sense, I just like, all of a sudden just became aware. I was just kind of imagining 10,000 people behind the person I was talking to. And, and I just thought like, whoa, if I bless this person, I don't mean that in an arrogant way, but if, if I show up and be for Jesus and be some form of a blessing to this person today, 
this could be the first causal link in a whole chain that literally impacts the 10,000 people that this person is going to come in contact to with their life. And I have to tell you, that make that motivates me for all the work I do. So I don't have to think I don't need to get on a stage and talk to 10,000 people. I mean, once right. upon a time, I would say that's probably what I did want. I mean, that isn't what I want anymore. I want to bless 10,000 people by going deep with one person, you know, yep. whether it's in a Publix line or whatever. So I, I love that image. I wanted to ask one more thing about spaciousness. And, and that's this, because it's so interesting. You start talking about mystery. And this is where I think um, sometimes uh, it gets, I wouldn't say if it's ironic, but it's interesting because when we start talking about getting to a place, you know, and you said thoughtless and, you know, you didn't think thoughtless as in careless, but it's beyond thoughts, beyond right. images, beyond words, words um, yeah. you know, like Thomas Merton talks about a new seed, you literally lose God because God disappears because what any idolatrous form of, of that you've had of God of image is now gone. So sometimes that space actually initially can seem scary. And I, I've talked to you about this personally. Um, like I felt like I was stuck in an abyss, which to me, and I, that, and I use that word just cause it was all darkness. Mm -hmm. And, and I thought I'm lost um, you know, but in a sense, sometimes these deeper practices, when you talk about running into infinity, you know, that's beyond no matter how smart a person is, um, infinity is irreducibly complicated. And if you think you got even a smidgen of an idea, that little dot is now compounded a million times. And so sometimes in our spiritual lives, we can get those places where we feel lost. But in fact, that's the moment you're actually found. And so instead of being in an abyss, it's like, you know, go to outer space and there's those fat, famous picture of earth where earth's in the center and it's all black. We'll take the earth out and it's just all black. That's what infinity <laughs> looks like. Yeah. And it's not light, it's black. Um, yeah. I mean, say, say something about that, that metaphor of, of, of abyss and- uh, Yeah, I mean, it probably the, Jonathan Cross probably touched on that better than it with Dark Knight of the Soul. And, uh, and the, the thing is, is that I wouldn't say we we're stuck in an abyss. I would say we we're set free in an abyss. Yes. And, and we still need, it's like, it's like walking in, uh, from a, from an incredibly light and then going into pure darkness. What's the, I mean, I'm sorry, going from darkness into pure light. Now like, you know, what happens? We, we can't, can't really see. So the abyss is, is not an abyss, is not nothingness. Uh, the abyss is the infinity of love uniting with love because think about it, there's two abysses there's a there's the abyss of the image of god in which we are all created and there's the abyss of the one who created the abyss so you know, in reality it's a it's a uniting of the abyss of love because think about it that as a, as a human being created in the image of god we are created in the image of love and it's infinite love it's a and so we have this and so contemplative spirituality helps our eyes to focus, help our eyes to see the reality of what is, to be awakened to the truth. At first, you're right. Boom. It's, it's like, it's blinding. I mean, it's a, and that's, that's how John of the Cross talks about the good dark night of the soul. Uh, that's really totally misunderstood. Usually what he, what he means is that the dark night is just the, it's just the influx of the, of incredible divine light. Uh, 
I almost like to think of when, you know, when uh, Peter, James, and John are up at the Mount of Transfiguration and they see Elijah, Moses, and Jesus, and, and Jesus is transfigured, uh, the only thing they can do is see was brighter than anything that could be. You know, but I, I have to suspect they were probably blinded at first. As a matter of fact, they kind of fell to their knees in fear, right? And, uh, and, I, and, I, and then, and then oh, it's fascinating in the Transfiguration is that, and then they heard the voice, and then they sensed Jesus, the hand of Jesus, and then just Jesus, because Jesus was always there, but they saw they saw his light, they saw the glory, and uh, in a real sense, the abyss is the glory, and uh, and we we aren't we're not prepared to just be thrown into the glory. I mean, we we believe in the glory by faith, we know the glory is there, we experience the glory, but to actually go allow yourself to be immersed with with abandon into the the infinity of the glory. Uh, it. it seems like darkness. It seems like darkness at first, but then little by little, as the author of the cloud of unknowing says, we begin to pierce that cloud. And we begin to you know, all of a sudden just little bits and pieces of it. And and um and those again, those are infinite piercings. Those aren't just, oh, you know, it's a, you know, it only took I was only there for a split second, but they, they were infinite. They changed us dramatically so that we can become a, a purer and purer vessel. I mean, it's what the Old Testament talks about, right? Purity, purity, purity. It's just the perfect perfection of it. It's a, it's allowing an impure vessel to be, by the grace of God, to be immersed in the absolute purity of a holy God and then discover, whoa, wait a minute, that purity is in me as God's image, and that's where union comes. And then all of a sudden, the abyss, the abyss becomes a glorious place uh, of, uh, and I don't, I don't think, I, I mean, using Teresa of Avila again, she talked about, they shouldn't use the word abyss, but she talked about the glory of God and, um, and a sense of being in a pure state of contemplation. And she said in her life, she, th she thinks that maybe she got there for a few minutes at a time, but, it, but the, the minutes are perfect. I mean, they're, in, they're infinite minutes. And then she was kind of out of it. And the second you think about it, as soon as thought, thought, image, concept, word comes in, then you're kind of, you're out of it, but you're not really out of it. You're just not aware of it anymore. But each time we become closer and closer to a deepening awareness of the image of love, the abyss of the image, connecting and uniting with the abyss of the image creator, the one who created the image. I love that. And uh, that's, that's, that's just, um, that's so helpful. And I like the idea of freedom and I like how you connected the, um, the spaciousness of us being in God's image, which is its own abyss, if you will, connecting with God in, in pure love. And that's, um, that's the experience. Again, we don't do contemplative ex ex practices just to get experiences. It's our, it's our, basically our faithfulness before God, but that is such a beautiful thing. Even if you can run into that for split seconds, um, final question, Gene, um, well, final, like, if I've listened to this conversation and and I'm like, wow, this is just fascinating. You've read an array of books. I've seen your library, uh, and obviously your passion for this is just clear for and, and your breadth of knowledge. If if I'm new to this, could you could you suggest a one or two books where maybe people can get a little taste of um some of the classics? And I guess I'm thinking about primary resources, like what would be the most accessible saints if you were if you wanted to start reading in the christian tradition you got a couple ideas for folks i think uh teresa's uh, crystal palace uh, that would be that, you know that read that um 
maybe the most accessible one would be Julian of Norwich. It's, it's under a couple of titles, but showing was the original title. And uh, and she's on her deathbed and she sees Christ and she feels a wanting with God. And she does. She speaks it in a very, uh, very understandable way. Um, so I, I would say that that uh, those two would be the most accessible, if you, uh, accessible. But um, and if you want to go a little bit deeper, uh, if you wanted to get a, a really broad breath, it's a. It's kind of it's, it's a lot of lot of stuff, but Bernard McGinn wrote a, 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 a history of Christian mysticism. I think he's up to volume nine or ten, and uh, and he starts you know right off from the get go, and and he moves right on up into the more modern mystics, and uh, some of some of those books, and they give a brief a little brief section, sometimes three or four pages on each one of those mystics. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of them. Um, but I would say Teresa, uh, Julian, uh, Julian Norwich. Uh, Teresa of Avila. John of the Cross is is really good. Just don't begin with Dark Night of the Soul or something like that. Uh, you know, you can begin with the Ascent to Mount Carmel, uh, which is uh, is pretty understandable. And there are a few. I can't recall the authors right now. Um, maybe it wasn't Richard. Rohr. Oh, he, uh, um, James uh, Finnegan. Fin- uh, what's his? He works with Richard Rohr. Um, he, he him he wrote a. Uh, a really good book on John of the Cross. And uh, I think he wrote one on Dark Knight, which is very understandable. Um, but I would begin, going back to the classics, I would begin with Teresa's uh, Crystal Palace, and then I would uh, and then I would move into, uh, maybe into Julian of Norwich uh, as her showing. So those are, those really kind of, and Julian's might even be the most, the best one, because it's purely experiential. She's, she's, she's relaying her experience, and then, and she was a, Anchorite in a in a in in, in England that nobody even really knows her own real name. When she was Julian in Norwich, and that was you know nobody knows who. You know, it's, so it's uh, that those two would be really good to start with. But again, if you want to get a broad view, um, pick up uh, you know and and maybe maybe Thomas Merton even uh, he, he might be someone to pick up uh, his Seven Story Mountain, which is kind of his, his biography and. Uh, that might be a, a, that's another way to kind of get your get wet in a way that you're, you know kind of get your uh, your get a little go a little deeper without all kinds of uh, contemplative or and, and what you can run into some of the older ones that medieval language and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yes, yeah, so that that might be something something to do as well. <laughs> I love it. Thank you very much, and I'll have all those links to all these resources in the show notes if you're interested. Uh, and then the final question is if people would like to get Uh, the newsletter that you're going to be producing or get some more information about your spiritual direction. What's, where's the best place to to find out more about you, Gene? Um, The best place is uh, go, go, you can email me, uh, the, the awakening Institute, T H E A W A K E N I N G Institute at gmail.com. We're, we're just because of the pandemic, uh, not to get too much into it, but prior to the pandemic, our, our classes were all in person and they were almost like a retreat thing. So, it became very difficult during the pandemic. So we were revamping it quite a bit uh, and it's going to be more uh, Zoom, more internet friendly uh, and uh, a new newsletter and a new website will be up within within the next 30 to 45 days. So if you email me, I'll make sure that you uh, that you get the information to be able to go to the website and go to the uh, and go to the, uh, the classes. And quite most of the classes are going to be around uh, contemplative practices, Centering Prayer, Lexio Divina, uh, Jesus prayer, prayer of quiet. We were probably going to do a study or two in some of the classics. It would probably do something with Aunt Teresa and, and John of the Cross and uh, and some of the others too. So we'll have some 
uh, book studies on there as well. Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. And Gene, it's always great to speak with you. I appreciate so much you sharing your knowledge. I know you've always helped me personally. It's also great to have you as a, as a, a good friend of mine. And just thank you for being faithful to the work that God's laid on your heart. Thank you for all you're doing as well. These podcasts, uh, I, I, I don't get a chance to see everyone, but I, I've probably seen 30 or 40 of them and they're, they're excellent. They're excellent. Whenever, especially when they start, when you're talking to a contemplative or someone talking about one of the practices, I always tune into that, maybe even watch them more than once. So <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much. And I also, we want to thank you, our audience for listening all the way to the end of this week's edition of the deep dive spirituality conversations podcast. Until next time, live by faith, be known by love, and be a voice of hope to others.